Chai. What are you doing here? You stay away from us. He's infected, isn't he? What? Your child. He's sick. Just get away. You get away from us! You don't remember, do you? is over but we have to go please stop I hear that noise enough in my day to day no wait are you doing Aaron crying or are you doing the blaring alarm bell that takes us into every flashback in this episode wow this may be uh, the most uh, offensive episode for your ears uh, (laughs) that we have encountered so far uh, in our lost rewatch here season 2 episode 15 maternity leave Mike Bloom uh, I'm Josh Wigler you're Mike Bloom whoever you are you're listening to this but uh, who I'm speaking to directly you are Mike Bloom yeah this episode really is the opposite of ASMR isn't it just like a completely unpleasant (laughs) noise that nobody's happy about yeah so there's the baby screaming the whole way through but then as you mentioned there's also this is an, a full on island episode second one we've ever had uh and obviously uh, i've said this before uh huge 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 kudos for taking that kind of a swing mm-hmm. uh and and i think very important that lost is able to do this and this shows that the show can get experimental um with its side storylines it doesn't just have to be a flashback it doesn't have to be the straight like off-island flashback you can you can shake it up you can you can play around a little bit and i think that that's all great um but man the noise they <laughs> use to to flash back to claire's past the wait you know what let, let me just let me let me jump the gun here with the sound because it's tough to describe uh onomatopoetically let me just play the sound for you uh that is going to and this is the first transition that happens so for those of you that might not remember the episode and are just following along Instead of, like, the dramatic timpani drums that take us in and out of a usual flashback, since this is Claire's memories being fully realized, we get a series of images, like, almost montage from her yeah. time missing. But it's accompanied by the most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> Sorry, Lloyd Christmas, who have been usurped. Let me, let me just play this for you. It's a vaccine. We don't want him to get sick. <laughs> Oh, awful, waffle, awful, waffle. It is legitimately the the worst, most annoying noise I've heard in at least the year so far. Like, if not at least the past six months, I would say. Short of our voices to the haters, I think <laughs> exactly. that this is the this is the worst noise that exists. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I think if you had to rank the worst noises on Lost, this would be a contender uh, for for right at the top. Uh, and to to spoil the takes a little bit for the for the four point two stars, uh, maternity leave was definitely an episode that I thought I would be higher on. Mm-hmm. Uh, then maybe I ended up being this time. Um, and I think at least a, a very large piece of that 
was the the audio uh, uh, side of things. It's just like, oh, that's so hard to hear. Yeah. And like I was watching it and my wife was in the other room and she like started screaming from the other room being like, what are you watching? Oh, I thought just, she just started screaming like, ah! Wah, wah, wah. She was like, it was the combination of like Aaron is crying through the first like 15 minutes of the episode oh, uh, God, and then yeah. like the blade like screeching flash noises. Are just it's just a lot, but uh, we'll get into all of that here. We're talking maternity leave. This is Claire's going to get her memories back. They're coming back. Uh, Rousseau is coming back. We're going into the staff. We're going to uh, see some fake beards. Mm-hmm. It's a great time. It's, it's all, a great it's time all coming here. back to her now. There were moments of Ethan, and there were <laughs> flashes of what? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we promise we will use actual words to describe the episode and not just guttural sounds. Um, but here we are. We're talking about the episode where Aaron is sick and Aaron needs to be fixed uh, and, and, and helped and, and rescued because there may be an infection involved. You also hear the words quarantine mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times here. So maybe this was just like a very triggering episode on a few <laughs> different levels. But I did not, I, I recognize Maternity Leave as a good episode of Lost, but I don't know that I had a good time watching it this week. It's, it's a really interesting episode uh, because, you know, we pick back up from really, I guess we talked about many times last week, a game-changing episode in one of them, and with the B plot of this episode, we are certainly getting some follow-up in there, especially as Benjamin Linus begins to worm his way into the growing schism between Jack and Locke. But yeah, I mean, the main plot here is going to focus on and really fill in one of the bigger mysteries from season one. You know, coming out of season one, the only thing we really knew about Claire's uh, time when she was missing and lost her memory when she was kidnapped by Ethan was that she had run into Daniel Rousseau and she had scratched her, and we had no idea what that meant. So we finally get the blanks filled in here, though, again, as Ethan will actually tell Claire, like, we can't fill in all the blanks. It might be a, a bit too quick, uh, overwhelming to explain it to her. To start things off, you know, I feel like season two timing has always been an interesting discussion when it comes to dropping these elements in. Episode 15, is that too early to drop in the Claire stuff? Too late to drop in the Claire stuff? Where does this sort of fall into the chronology for you, and is it appropriate? Well, we're sort of in, um, you know, it's, we're, we're in the Henry Gale stuff right now, but we are still sort of like in like this middle chunk of season two Mm -hmm. that is, is kind of like this like strange cloud of episodes for me. Um, I don't know if maternity leave would have worked better earlier. I don't think it would have worked better later. Um, this episode and next week's episode Mm -hmm. kind of like meld together for me, like in in terms of like, I can't like properly recall exactly what happens in either episode. Maternity leave a little bit more because it's a unique episode. The whole truth is an episode that I don't remember very well. Uh, so this is more of a question for for next week. Um, but I don't know that there was a, a an earlier point this season where having maternity leave would have worked. Maybe fire plus water, you know, maybe yeah. in that fire plus water spot. I think it would have been interesting to have the hunting party be followed up with the non-bearded Mr. Friendly and the fake beard. That's what I was thinking as well. Like, if you could put it in one place, or maybe do it right after Fire Plus Water and have, like, okay, we just had Charlie say that Aaron needs to be protected, and now he starts getting sick. That's the only thing I could possibly think of, though. Yeah. Um, All right, well, let's push in. Let's talk about the episode. We'll get to feedback deeper into the show. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com, of course, is the way to send that feedback and also uh, all of your 4.2 star rankings for 
the episodes. Mike, let's go forth into the jungle. Maternity leave. It's directed by uh, your boy, Jack Bender, uh, written by who I had written down. We, we go off of a doc here. We have a doc that, that Mike and I fill out to, to keep us on track, uh, believe it or not, uh, to keep us on track. <laughs> and uh, before we got on here, the writer credit was Don Lambertson, Kelly, Matt Ragianti. And it was just like one amorphous string yeah. of five that, uh, five names. Daenerys Targaryen's pen name, I'm assuming, with just all the was, names that were thrown onto this document. And I think that that was a typo on my end, and I didn't uh, delineate between two separate people. Uh, one is Don Lambertson Kelly. The other is Matt Raggianti. I mean, I think uh, it's fine considering that, you know, you look at those two names and you think, who are those people? And it's understandable, given this is the only episode of Lost that they'll watch, that they'll write for. I believe both of them were uh, writer's assistants for the first two okay. episodes, and they were given a shot to uh, take on the big leagues. And as a result, they produced maternity leave and then, you know, might have moved on to other projects. It's a bold choice to, to give, um, you know, th- this side of the other 48 days uh, the only other episode to be completely on the island. Uh, to to a, a pair of writers' assistants, it's cool. Yeah, well, I wonder if it's because you know if they've been so entrenched with the writers' room since season one, maybe they're some of the best people to sort of look at. Like, okay, you know what season one was like, you know what was happening with Ethan. Like, if you want a shot to take on an episode, this is a good way to do it because you have an immediate base to go off of. Uh, because yeah, this is going to be a big, big Ethan episode, and you know we'll see him in drips and drabs throughout the other flashbacks that are happening, but you forget how big of a part Ethan was of the first, what, two-thirds of Lost Season 1 until this episode. All right, uh, let's let's go into it. We've got the eight sounds, so help us God, uh, <laughs> to guide already. us through this episode. All right, so that counts? That's the official that's, uh, that's first the sound on the board? canonical sound number one. I found it All right, too important God. to the episode <laughs> to not, like, we, it needed to be discussed. This could not have been the elephant in the room. Like, this had to be embraced because this fun, and I don't know whether, like, I just had my own memory loss and completely forgot about the sound effect and look, I can understand from a certain sound mixing perspective that, like, this is not fondly doting on a memory like the characters would in their ordinary Yeah, these are painful. Yeah, painful this memories. is stark. But at the same time, it doesn't need to be that painful to us. Like, I would imagine if it happened once, but this happens every single flashback that occurs, oh, which tough. happens at least three times over the course of this episode, both in and out. So six times total. It's tough. It's tough. All right. So the episode begins uh, with more noises that are difficult. Poor Aaron is crying. He's having a really, really hard time. He's burning up. Uh, Claire is going to need some help. She wants to go to the hatch to go visit Jack. Locke, who's been camping out with Claire, he's going to volunteer. He's like, oh, it's too dangerous to go off in the middle of the night. I'll do it. Uh, obviously, it's because, like, we've got a prisoner down there, and I don't want anyone to know I about know, it. To, so he's... to be fair, I would also not let, like, hey, here, walk with your infant through the blatant darkness that comes with this jungle. But, yeah, I mean, this will definitely also, you know, segue from the A story into the B story. Uh, you know, obviously, I think, just to start off as we sort of talk about Claire here, you know, you could say, and I'm sure we definitely have thoughts about like, the whole Aaron is sick storyline, considering that, again, it seemed like they were trying to play up some Aaron stuff that never came to fruition, uh, that I understand both sides of the Jack v. Claire thing here, the Shepherd siblings going at one another, in that it is very true, like, this is very accurate, that especially newborns, uh, when they get viral infections, they tend to manifest themselves in rashes. Okay. So you can absolutely understand where Jack is coming from of like, yeah, it'll just pass. You know, it usually comes with a fever, usually comes with a cough, but it just needs to work its way through the system. Babies have low immune systems. At the same time, as not only a first-time parent, but a, like, 
completely new per- parent who didn't want the child necessarily to begin with, I can understand Claire's paranoia. Even us, uh, Angela and I, and you know, our, our own like privileged place with our own first time child, we're still freaking out a little bit the first time he turned red, afraid that, you know, things were going to go south very, very quickly. So I do understand where both of them are coming from in this perspective, even if Claire is so stubborn as to take off into the jungle wildly because she believes that her baby is extremely sick when it turns out that it's not so much. Um, was this a triggering episode for you, Mike, uh, with with just how uh, upset Aaron is the whole time, how um, out of sorts Claire is as a parent? Did you have any, like, blade-sharpened flashback noises ringing in your own head as you were watching this? Yeah, I mean, these were, like, the first three months of uh, my first the the debut into parenthood uh because my child asher was colicky he was having a lot of officially a one-year-old happy belated may the fourth be with you asher bloom thank you i remember my little padawan being born as if it was yesterday (laughs) (laughs) fond memories uh but yeah i mean the, the first few months were tough because sort of like aaron he would I mean, we've seen this in previous episodes, too, you know, when, when uh, Locke swaddled Aaron was the, the toughness that comes with, like, a child, a being constantly crying, needing something, and you being unable to provide for that. Like, it wreaks havoc psychologically. And while luckily we are in a better place now, the crying is not completely stopped, but we've figured out a general routine. He and I have a bit of an understanding, as it were. Uh, we drew a line in the sand and everything. I think that having this episode start off definitely gave me some flashbacks. It definitely gave me some pity for claire which i think is one of the things i'm definitely gleaning from this we talked about this in raised by another and i think a bit in uh in do no harm as well how being a parent you know changes the way that you look upon others that are dealing with the parenting experiences and all the variations that come in between and considering what claire has to deal with and how it directly and indirectly connects to what i've been through it definitely gave me a new look at this character in particular for this episode even if the stuff that happens in this episode and especially when it comes to the claire arc in general is a little inconsequential um all right so Locke's gonna go to the hatch he's waking jack up baby's got a fever go go deal with that i'll i'll hang here with henry uh, apparently, Henry hasn't made a peep all night hanging out in the armory. Yeah, so I guess did Jack was Jack just sitting on the couch and he fell asleep? Otherwise, like, dude, go to the bedroom. Unless he's so used to, to living with Sarah that he's used to sleeping on the couch. After he loves the couch. Time. He loves the couch. I love the couch. Sleeping on the couch is great. I think it depends mm-hmm. on the couch. I don't know yeah. how that 1977 upholstery is doing in the hatch. Uh, yeah, I don't know how. I don't know what's more comfortable, that or the bunk. You yeah. know, is the is is it like an army cot? Like, does does the couch have a little bit more cush to it? Is it a pullout? Uh, has Jack been like binge reading some books, and like, is it just more fun to be doing it out there on the couch? I don't know. You yeah. know, I don't want to judge him too hard. I think he's just maybe he was so angry at the lack of Stephen King that he tuckered himself out. Yeah, no Stephen King, too much Dostoevsky. Uh, all right, so back at the beach, Claire's trying to cool Aaron down, and then it's what we heard at the top of this episode. Here comes Rousseau. He's infected. Ah, stay away! I, I do love... There's some really great camera work in this episode. One particular shot that I can't wait to get into. But I do love sort of the uh, subversion of expectations when you hear a rustling and Claire goes, Oh, Jack. And then the camera itself swings around from Claire's POV to show Russo and just hear a non-blaring big musical sting to indicate like, Nope, this is a very different situation. 
It's Rousseau. She's back. Watch out. Uh, she, a, she might have her crossbow again. And has she just been like lurking? Like she is, or is it just like they, they, they booked Mira Furlan for two episodes in a row? But like, how does she like show up just at the exact right time that Aaron is sick? She has to have been peeping on the crew for a while now. Well, I'm wondering, when does this take place after one of them? Because remember, her initial uh, intentions with one of them was to stake out the camp until nightfall and then mm. get Saeed and bring him to bed. Could it just be like she was in the area, and she's like, let me hang out? Could it be that because I'm assuming everyone has heard Aaron screaming for the past sure. few days? Like, she's like, okay, something's definitely up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can imagine she still has some sort of, like, weird fixation on Aaron, considering the time she kidnapped him last time we saw her before one of them. Yeah, and also just concern for a baby, uh, considering her own status. Um, but she's going to come up to Claire... And Claire says, you don't remember, or Rousseau says, you don't remember me, do you? Uh, and this is where we get the first Claire flash of the episode. You sure you don't want to play it again just to remind everybody uh, how that sounds? Yeah, you know what? Let's, uh... Why not, right? Yeah. Let's just do it. It's a vaccine. We don't want him to get sick. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so tough. It's so tough. Oh, it's, it's so garbage tough. noise. I think the way that um, the repeated playing of DJ Dom is like the greatest thing you could possibly hear in your ears. This is like the anti-DJ Dom. Mm-hmm, exactly. Is, is, Everything is balanced. One sound is white. One is black. Yeah, let me just hear that one more time. I just want to just make sure that that takes Well, yeah, let, let's take ourselves out of the transition here, out of the, yeah. the montage we just experienced. <laughs> It's a vaccine. We don't want him to get sick. We get so many one-star reviews for this. If you had the choice between uh, the world going back to normal and everyone being able to go outside and everything, but you'd have to have that in your brain for the rest of your life, uh, just repeating every single time you had a memory, or we just stayed on you know, lockdown and in quarantine for the duration... Uh, which do you choose? Can I have an option of like wiping my memories right after the former <laughs> option? <laughs> yeah, let's Take go. Take me that. now, Ethan. Uh, Kate, thankfully, is going to run up and like ruin the memory, right? Like she's yeah. like, get away from her. This you, you're not supposed to be here. Get out of our and camp. And hey, uh, Kate popping up after a couple of episodes of uh, not doing some great stuff. Like here comes season one, Kate back in form, in my opinion, and it connects back with her relationship with Claire. Great Kate episode, uh, and also great to have that with the long t- uh, the long view of, of where Kate's story is going right. and how tied into Aaron it is. Uh, so, so I really appreciate having Kate as a as a main character in this episode. Uh, I think um, whether or not that's like something that was already on the mind that we're going to get to a point where Kate and Aaron are going to be close, uh, or it's just a kind of happy accident doesn't really matter to me. I think it, it fits together really well in the grander tapestry of the show. Yeah, and I think it's a nice little mirroring when connected to the others of uh, the hunting party being, you know, three men in ja- and Jack, Locke, and Sawyer. Here yeah. we have three women going to an others-based facility in Claire, Kate, and Rousseau. So, again, maybe that's another reason why it would have done better succeeding the hunting party or being near it, is because it's a nice little mirror image, even though Kate was sort of part of the hunting party, even though they didn't realize it. Um, the next day, uh, Jack is going to have shown up. Um, uh, she, she's going to she's going to talk to Jack. Jack's going to be checking out Aaron. He insists that Aaron is okay. And here we are, Mike, with our second ever Claire Littleton flashback episode, which also includes Jack just not buying into any of Claire's medical concerns. Yeah, it's not a great look for you know his closest blood relative. 
on the island, which, again, he is correct about, but I think he does have better bedside manner here than obviously he showed in uh, in Raised by Another, but it still is not great to just be trying to talk Claire off the ledge by being like, stop freaking out, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with him. There's no infection, Kate even comes up and says, Rousseau is here, she said infection, and Jack's like, oh yeah, Kate, hey, uh, mm, this is awkward, I don't want to talk to you right now. Uh, and he says, there's no infection, no one's been sick, everybody's been fine, we've been here two months, no one's gotten sick, uh, how quickly he forgets about the rash man. Well, I was going to uh, say, do you think Aaron got something from Solomon before he died via golf ball? It's certainly possible. Uh, Jack says, I'll come back in a few hours and check in. Uh, and Kate tries to assure Claire, like, if there was something wrong with Aaron, Jack would know. Uh, so maybe it's not worth freaking out about. Um, but that's not good enough for Claire. Uh, and Kate is still palling around with Claire. Uh, and Kate and Claire are going to go and have a conversation with Libby. Uh, I believe the first time that they've ever talked. Mm-hmm. Libby's already hanging out with Hurley and Vincent, so it seems like things are progressing I, nicely. I mean, we assume that this is probably the only time that they talk. <laughs> I think that sounds about right. Like that's a wrap on the Claire Libby dynamic, the Clibby. I think this is it for you, Clibby shippers. Uh, Claire just walks up to Libby. You're a shrink, right? (laughs) And she's like, oh, I mean, I guess I'm a clinical psychologist. Shrink works too. Um, And apparently uh, Claire wants Libby, help me remember things. I need, there are things that I need to remember. I just had these weird little blade whirring, whirling noises in my brain. And it seems like I'm starting to remember some stuff. Uh, and I could use use an assist. Uh, Claire sits down with Libby and like catches her up on everything, which is very useful if you don't remember any of the Ethan drama or, back in season one. Or just one. watch the previously on, because that gives like the entire <laughs> background. <laughs> yeah, but she she gives her like the whole like this is what happened earlier on Lost. Uh, I have two weeks missing from my life. Uh, and Libby says, "Well, maybe it's not amnesia. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we just flip a switch in our mind. It prevents us from re- reliving trauma. Maybe you're just blocking." these memories and Libby says all right well if that's the case I need you to unblock them <laughs> exactly she really is the uh I don't know the psycholo- psychological laxative to just relieve Claire <laughs> and Hurley oh, understands that issue gross as well. yeah yeah oh my god a psychological laxative uh that's I, I like shrink better <laughs> I like sh- I prefer shrink I prefer shrink uh at the hats Jack and Locke they they walk in uh to the armory with with uh the artist occasionally known as Henry Gale ask him if he needs to use the bathroom he does not wow I'm, it's impressive. He's been in there overnight. I feel like you would uh, take any opportunity to go to the bathroom. Well, how much water has he consumed? I just feel like you would want a change of scenery at the very least, even if you didn't have to make. I mean, I suppose so. Though I wonder, like, does he suppose that the change of location just gives them a... Like, what if he washes the bathroom and Saeed's there and just beats him up again? You know, is this a trick? Uh. Yeah, I guess that that's that's possible. But I think if I was Jack or Lockbick, this guy's been in here for, you know, 14 hours and he hasn't used the bathroom. Okay, so he's another for sure. Absolutely. We all know that the others are incapable of going to the bathroom. Uh, so he's, let us know when you need to go to the bathroom. I'll look forward to that, he says. Oh, I love uh, sat Like, as much as Ben was trying to play up the, like, woe is me innocence role last time I'm coming across as Henry Gale... You, when you know Ben Linus, you really see his sass like through this episode, and it is so much fun to watch. He's great in this episode. This is a very, very good Ben episode. Uh, he gets some dinner. He gets a book. No Stephen King. Uh, some Dostoevsky. Have you read a lot of Dostoevsky, Mike? No, not even Dose. I've read yeah. a Sero of Dostoevsky. <laughs> though I, I read a bit on the, the Brothers Karamazov. <laughs> Sero of Ayesky. <laughs> 
Um, but it's interesting. The Brothers Karamazov is about patricide. It's about a group of, I believe, four brothers who conspire to murder their father. And I think it's really interesting about both the man who the book is given to and the man who will give the book to Ben Linus. Both of them uh, have a little bit either in their past or in their future of patricide. So it's an interesting connector. Uh, yeah, so no Stephen King. Sorry, the library. It's just a little bit out of date. Um, Jack and Locke are going to leave the armory, and they are going to have a bit of a conversation uh, about the book that Henry has just received. Let's listen in. What's with the book? Just some uh, pass the time. Did you know that Hemingway was jealous of Dostoevsky? No, John, I, I didn't know that. He wanted to be the world's greatest writer, but convinced himself that he could never get out from under Dostoevsky's shadow. Kind of sad, really. What are we doing, Jack? What are we doing? We can't hide him down here forever. Changing shifts around is going to get people asking questions. I just want to know what the long-term plan is. Well, John, let me ask you this. We don't have a long-term plan for the button, but we keep pushing it, don't we? Look, until we know who he is, whether or not he's telling the truth, we have to keep doing what we're doing. If you've got a better idea, let's hear it. And then, of course, we hear from afar. I, I couldn't capture this because he was so faded, but Ben's, uh, I say we let him go. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, I'd forgotten about this completely, and it's very easy to miss if you're not watching with good sound on. But yeah, from the armory, Ben goes, how about you let me go? Uh, and that, that is <laughs> like a legitimately laugh out loud moment for me. Like, it's <laughs> such a great capper to what is like a very loaded scene so obviously like Locke, for the first time in a while is finally bringing out the storytelling maybe he felt he got one-upped by mr echo's story about the bible what do you think josh the significance was from Locke's perspective of bringing up the hemingway dostoyevsky comparison here considering the line that ben is going to draw to it later on well i think for a lot of people uh they would just be sort of entranced in john Locke talking in like his big like sort of like sage-like wisdom voice you know, giving you some details about a topic that you haven't heard of before, divining some meaning uh, from that for yourself. Uh, but Jack's just not impressed with Locke's shtick at all. Yeah. Uh, like, I think a lot of other people would have found what Locke had to say fascinating. And Jack just does not like John Locke. John Locke murdered Boone. And he just really hasn't gotten over that. And, like, that really just precipitated a whole bunch of having to get to know John Locke a whole lot more in Jack's eyes uh, and not being a fan. Uh, and especially with everything that went down in the apprehension of Henry Gale and the continued incarceration of Henry Gale. And clearly there's a bit of a conflict of philosophies as it pertains to what we're doing with Ben and what we're doing with the button and all of that. And I think Jack is just not really here for, for Locke's sidebars uh, to the point of last week when he's like, shut up. Yeah. You know, he just didn't want to hear anything from him. So I think for Locke, this is just sort of second nature to Locke. Locke, you know, talks about things that he finds fascinating to anyone who's going to listen to him. Um, Jack's just not really a receptive audience. And that's, I think, going to help Ben's case in deepening the divide, considering that we're going to find out once we actually get to know Ben Linus that, like, he is someone who also enjoys a conversation. And I think that the more Locke is going to get to know about the man in the armory, the more he's going to be like, okay, this is someone who I can actually speak with, you know? And, and that's another reason why him and Jack are fundamentally separating is because 
Locke's stuff is not necessarily working on Jack. Like you said, he has no time for it. And I do love that every time Locke brings something up, Jack always goes back to the button at this point of like, we have no idea what it's doing, yet you keep insisting that we have to do it. I took this leap of faith with you. You have to take one with me, Thelma and Louise style. Right. Um, how about you let me go? It's just such a funny line. Uh, back at the beach, Libby is going to be like guiding Claire through some sort of like hypnosis yoga. Sort of. It's like the guided meditation or like uh, when your friend used to put their head in your lap and you would like rub their temples and like take them through an adventure. Did you ever do that when you were bored at day camp or anything? Uh, yeah, I, I think I did like the like you remember like the concentrate, concentrate. Where, like, you, like, crack an egg on someone's head with your hand. Yeah, exactly. Like, do all that stuff, yeah. That was very popular when I was a youngin. Exactly. So I'm surprised I didn't do, like, light as a feather, stiff as a board with Kate at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sad that Feruza Balk never gets on Lost. I feel like she would have fit in. <laughs> but, yeah, been so good. we get a little bit of, like, this is, like, a, a, I don't know, a prompted flashback, in a way. Like, I guess the canon is that we always imagine these characters are thinking back to their time, but this is, like, Libby actually bringing it out i feel like libby saying we're away from all the noises at camp when aaron is about five feet away screaming his head off still yes. while kate's holding yes him. yes um but this is gonna work claire is going to be able to have a flash uh and she is going to to be in a room uh it seems like a normal room it seems like a doctor's visit but it's not just any old doctor's visit it's ethan Dr. Ethan, it's our first sighting of Ethan since Ethan was gunned down, and he's, like, talking in, like, very calm ways, like, oh, well, you shouldn't be traveling in your third trimester. Uh, All right, I know these exams can be stressful, but here's some medicine for your baby, just a little pinch. Just to make sure you won't hear the blaring noises that will take you out of this memory. (laughs) I remember watching this on the first blush and being like, oh, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. Ethan's not only a doctor, but he seems like a pretty decent dude. (laughs) Well, he has a, I think we can officially say when it comes to like the bedside manner power rankings as doctors, Ethan unfortunately outclasses Jack by there. a lot. Yeah, I mean, by a lot. I think if Ethan approached the Sarah situation, he would be uh, a lot more reasoned about it. But I also remember watching this at first blush and thinking that this was just another freaky dream where sometimes, you know, they combine off-island stuff with on-island stuff, like Jin speaking English and have a cluckety cluck cluck day of like, because the actual conversation between Claire and Ethan is about like, traveling to LA like what are you doing traveling in your third trimester so I thought she was conflating one of her OB visits off island with what happened on island but I guess what we're led to believe is that she was just so drugged up at this point that Ethan was making her believe that she was still off island yeah yeah I think so I, I Emily DeRaven her performance in this episode there are points where it's not my favorite but there are some things that she does that I love and I love the way she plays groggy Claire in the flashbacks yeah uh like there's like sort of like almost like this like childlike quality to her uh the way that she like pals around with Ethan um and yeah I think that like she I think that she's being I think that she's aware that she's on the island but I think that like they have like given her enough like of whatever drug she's on that they have her convinced that like the others actually are relatively decent people and don't worry. Like Charlie's fine. Like the way that Ethan's going to throw that line away later, be like, Oh yeah, I sent him back to camp when we, when we were far enough away. I, I totally let him go. I mean, to <laughs> like, be, I would say like that, that is like something I wouldn't buy into, but considering the others are about to do that with Hurley in the season two finale, it's not exactly outside of their, uh, their realm of possibilities. 
Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. Uh, Claire's going to snap back to it uh, with, with Libby. She's like, it was Ethan! I saw Ethan! I saw a room! There was a real room! There's medicine there! Kate, we got to find the room! <laughs> Kate says, okay, well, this is 2004, so I guess this, it did exist as a movie, but like it was very underground at this point. It won't be for another five <laughs> years before the viewing parties start, but I guess we can find it. Let's go to San Francisco. Oh, hi, Claire. Uh, okay, so <laughs> meanwhile... Was, so is the doctor. <laughs> that would be incredible. Uh, meanwhile, in the forest, uh, Mr. Echo is chopping down a tree. We haven't seen Echo in yeah, his, uh, his woodshop project tr- in a church while. Church 2.0, much like Raft 2.0, was also burned up. He's starting on a new project. He's marked off some trees, hoping Charlie doesn't get near them. And now he wants a saw in addition to the axe that he got in that deleted scene from a few weeks back. So I believe actually the deleted scene was the saw. So was this it? must was be axe. what No, he's I want to borrow a saw and then the scene was locked being like, "Well, here's your saw." And I was like, "Thanks for the saw." And then he walks away. So I guess that's a piece of this next scene <laughs> where Echo shows up at the hatch and Jack is down there with in Henry I guess has finally had to use the bathroom. He can't suck it up anymore. Uh, and Echo calls like, "Hello, hello, is anyone here?" Uh, and John like yep it's just you and me nobody else here definitely not echo uh who is probably no stranger to taking someone hostage Mm -hmm. uh in his previous life as a as a warlord uh probably knows a thing or two about the circumstances he's just walked into uh just awkwardly asks for a saw uh while jack is with with henry uh and like making sure that he's shutting up in the bathroom uh it's a very funny scene, actually. It's a really, especially... It's hard, it's hard to, like, recap yeah. it in a way that, like, captures the spirit of sort of, like, the tense comedy to it, but it is pretty No, funny. it's very farcical, a bit. Like you said, it's obviously not, like, uh, you know, noises-off type of farce-intended humor, but, like, Echo's wariness is very fun, you know, uh, Ben trying to, like, speak up and Jack shushing him. I guess, I don't know, so then, I guess, connecting it, what, did Echo lose the saw? Did he give the saw back to Locke after the church burned down and now he's asking for the saw again no i think we probably just associated that scene incorrectly with uh with uh uh, fire plus water Mm. i bet it i bet it was just supposed to happen here Uh, Uh, gotcha unless it was just like uh, uh, can i have the saw again it could be i suppose it could be like maybe every other episode there's a deleted scene of echo coming to lock asking for a saw (laughs) maybe he's the one getting his mind tampered with as well where he just can't remember that he gave the saw back to lock uh, Kate in on the beach is going to go to Sawyer and say, all right, I need a gun. You don't get to ask why. Oh, uh, uh, I love uh, Sawyer's Elaine Stretch glasses here. I love Sawyer saying, I don't get to ask why. Sure, I do. Watch. Why? Yeah, exactly. So, like, so little kid-like. And Sawyer's also reading, speaking of some other books to talk about, uh, shout out to John Krause. Sawyer's reading a book called Lancelot, which is a book about Lancelot Lamar, a lawyer who, when he discovers that he is not the father of his youngest daughter— kills his wife by blowing up their house. Oh! He ends up being confined in a mental institution where he then dwells on the memories of his frightful past. This is a surrealistic element, which uh, reality blends with delirium. This is all taken from Lostpedia. A lot of, like, threads from Lost coming from Lancelot Lamar here. Wow. I had no idea. Um, Cool. Yeah, it just seems like that's, like, sort of like a... A hodgepodge of various different lost backstories, like being spliced together with some sort of terrible metallic sound. Exactly. I think that, you know, if Lancelot Lamar came out after Lost, then it would be derided as like, well, this is just combining several Lost plots, but it actually predates it significantly. Um, So Kate's going to say, like, look, Claire thinks her kid is sick. Uh, as in quarantine sick, she says. Sawyer surprisingly actually offers Aaron medicine, which again, like, 
continually confounds me about what are we doing with post long con Sawyer of like again right. he was Mister Everyone Hate Me and now he's like I'll give the medicine to Aaron. I'm a little confused by that, but maybe for Sawyer again it's this idea of like if it's for the kids, like uh, yeah. that's you know I take exception to everything with children. Yeah, push come to shove, he's going to show up for the kid. Uh, Kate's going to say no to the medicine. Why? <laughs> Probably just accept the medicine. Yeah, I mean, even if you think, because at this point, I think Kate's taking Jack's side here, right? Being like, I think Claire's a little too worried, but I know that Claire's going, and I know that, like, it's actually, she's making a very Kate-like decision and that she's being stubborn and needing to go, and so I should be able to follow her. But yeah, I don't think it would hurt to take just some medicine, you know, maybe some some antiviral stuff to possibly help Aaron at least feel better. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that, but it's a no boys allowed field trip, and Sawyer is on board. Uh, he's like, all right, what do you want, nine millimeter or an assault rifle? <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I guess, yeah, Sawyer's general store. He is definitely packing, obviously, but uh, that's just, I love how that conversation ends. And also, you know, again, we're broaching this relationship for the first time since the long con, and even though it is a short exchange, the Again, looking at the way Sawyer came out of one of them, the fact that I think he is so congenial with Kate and the way he spoke with her at the end of one of them of like, well, thank God you don't hate me, Freckles, shows that she is the exception to him out of anybody here. Uh, Claire is going to leave Aaron with son. Uh, and this is, this is our requisite, hey, here's a sneak peek of next week scene. Correct, correct, correct. Uh, where son is going to say, what if Jack's wrong? A mother shouldn't leave her child. And Claire's like, I'm sorry, are you a mother? And son says, no, I'm not, but I am going to be, and I'm soon to find out that I am pregnant. Yeah, and I don't know who the father is. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be able to tell you the whole truth quite yet, but eventually I will. Um, so, yeah, uh, that is just setup stuff, you know? We, we do this. This is a lot, a very, it's a grand lost tradition. Yeah, I'm, I'm it. surprised, that honestly might be one of the bigger parts of my rewatch here, is I just forget, like, obviously I think of the big ones, like the big swoop around shot of Locke during, uh, Tabula Rasa, Tabula. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I haven't thought a lot about these, like, this, these second season ones. Like, I feel like between Rousseau appearing in the last episode, you know, uh, a bit of, like, the Charlie stuff in the episode before Flyer Plus Water, like, just all the little sneak peeks of next week is something that they've really dug into the format of loss in the first couple of seasons, even though they've been deviating from the structure in other ways. Uh, so she's going to say like, are you sure about this Claire? And Claire says, what did you say? And apparently saying you sure about this is the trigger for Claire to have another one of those awful sounding flashes. Uh, and she remembers being in the staff station mm -hmm. alongside Ethan walking around the staff station. Uh, Ethan is going to show her a nursery. Uh, it's, 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 this is for your baby. Uh, this look at we've got the we've got like the Playmobil with the oceanic plane. We've got some creepy animals on the wall, like everything your child's room needs. And you know, I guess you know the assumption from Claire's perspective was probably that that bed was for her. But I don't know, the bed looks so childlike to me. I had always assumed that it was going to be for little Aaron, which just brings to light their intentions with her later on, which was that oh, Claire was never meant to live. Through giving no. birth to Aaron, and this is a room for Aaron only, not for Aaron plus Claire. Yeah, uh, they have Catch a Falling Star is playing in the in the Playmobil. Um, 
how did they get that? Like, I, you know, having all these oceanic planes on standby is kind of crazy as well. But also, like, having this song that means so much to Claire. Also, that's a, uh, I don't know, is that a bad look for Ethan to put, like, hey, here's that plane you crashed in. I'm going to fill your mobile with him. No, it's part of your legacy, right? It's part of your legacy. I think one thing we're not talking about with, with Ethan in this episode that is worth bringing up is Ethan is the last baby to have been born on the island. Yes. Right? Um, and so he is going to be like fairly obsessive and into this idea of like, let's, let's bring, you know, this, this woman shows up here nine months pregnant. We might actually be able to save this one. Uh, and for Ethan to want to take that on as sort of like this obsessive mission. I think that that does make some sense to me as far as a character motivation in a way that maybe it didn't in the past until Mm -hmm. you kind of realize like, yeah, Ethan is part of this, uh, this history of the island doesn't, um, it's not fertile ground for for baby making anymore. Yeah, and I think also the way he treats Claire in this moment is, yes, is it a little, you know, predatory in that he's taking advantage of her in her drug state? Yes, but it's also a little childlike as well, like you were talking about, you know, when uh, Ethan is, you know, injecting Claire, and he's like, oh yeah, you're such a good girl. It is a little strange that, like, she, because she is in a different state of mind at this point, her mind has regressed back to a more infantile state so it's almost like ethan is treating her not only as a doctor but like a parent guiding there her are through this. there are ways in which he's like trying to like uh like treat her in the way that like uh like you you keep an animal happy and fat and like roll around in in your in your big stretch of land and then one day you get taken into the shed and you get blapped mm-hmm. you know like there there's an extent to which that's how he's treating Claire here uh because he knows that she's very unlikely to survive um the operation to to get Aaron out of her um with that said it does make me wonder why he wouldn't just like say to her like Oh yeah, this is your nursery. You're gonna stay here too. It's gonna be totally great. Everything's gonna be fine. Why not just commit to the full bit instead of being like, "Yeah, we're gonna send you back to the thing." Like, I feel like that's an unnecessary stressor to be adding to the table. Well, I'm trying to remember what the timeline because remember that she in Raised by Another she was waking up because he was giving her injections because he wanted to keep her alive. So I guess at this point, like, does he feel this is a hopeless cause, or is he still sort of holding out hope that he will indeed, like, she will survive? After the surgery, and then at one, well, if that's the case, then why wouldn't they just keep her? I have no idea. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they feel like it's uh, too much of a risk that they feel like if they send her back, then at least like that wraps up one loose end. I mean, one of the reasons why they vacate the staff and leave it so derelict by the time the others get there is because they feel like this Claire's going to bring back eight one five, and right. so maybe they feel like in sending her back, uh, you know, they feel like okay, well, th- that'll sort of just be taken care of. And we'll take care of the baby. The fact that she escaped probably threw a bigger wrench into their plans than initially expected, even when Ethan is telling her that that's exactly what was going to initially happen with her. I think it's a loose Jenga piece, Mike. Mm. I think if you if you if you take that out, uh, a, a part of the top of the tower of this episode falls apart a little. Yeah, bit. I agree. I think like the whole idea of like uh, Claire, go back. You, you, we're going to send you back. We're going to keep the baby. We're good people. That doesn't really hold up to me very well. Yeah, uh, but I think that also... Ooh, whatever. I mean, that also presents know? the idea of, like, the others, too, though, right? That they're sort of building up this, for lack of a better term, friendly visage, and then you have Alex being the truth teller, being like, no, 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 they were gonna leave you for dead. 
uh, and just yeah. and just take your baby and not necessarily care about you. And so we're still in the mode here. This is preseason three where we get into how hapless of an organization the others can be. They're still this big, scary force that, you know, tied up Kate that stole Walt. So I could I like seeing at least from a different perspective where they can come from. But to your point, yeah, the the perspe- the pitch that Ethan is making to Claire is complex, but maybe not in a very rich way that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we'll hear more of that a little bit later. I know we have that sound. We're not in that scene right now. The scene we're in, Mike, is here's Mr. Friendly, except, wait, you shaved. Exactly. Friendly is, uh, unless this is Tom Friendly's twin. But no, he's <laughs> Tim Friendly. Exactly. But he has uh, pulled Ethan aside and not particularly closed the door, yelling at Ethan about not making the list. Like, Mike, you Goodwin's like the good son here. You know, yeah. look what Goodwin did. You're the goofus, Ethan. You just kidnapped yeah. a girl and hung a guy from a tree. No, Goofus is Aaron Robertson, I thought. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Uh, but yeah, it's, and Ethan sort of counters that, hey, they they found me out. They found out about the manifest, so I had to act quickly. We, we sort of litigated this uh, back during, you know, season one. But at least he vocalizes it. And we get to see firsthand that Ethan is going rogue here from the plans of the others. Which, again, shows uh, the organization in a much more complex light. That it's not from the top down. And also, friendly referring to a he definitely implies that there is someone above him, even though we are led to believe that he is the he for some time. What's he going to do when he finds out? Uh, yeah, he's wearing his like denim shirt. So this is just a very different look for for my guy, MC yeah, Gainey. And a nice little godfather moment when Friendly looks at Claire and closes the door in her face. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so back on the beach, Claire has remembered all of this. She says goodbye to Aaron. Very, very sad. She and Kate are going to go off into the woods. Uh, and she wants to know more about Rousseau. Like, you were with Rousseau, right? You went on that Black Rock expedition. You had to have been having some small talk with Rousseau. What did she tell you? Um, Kate says, do you know Rousseau? She is not a small talk woman. She's she's a close talker, you know, yeah. and a soft talker. Yeah, she likes to whisper. Uh, she yeah. might occasionally, she'll, she'll get hugged, but she won't hug you. But that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and she's like... Uh, yeah, she had a research team. She crashed here. She kind of killed the research team. But I won't say that. Uh, and, uh, you know, Claire sort of showing her heart on her sleeve here, not being the the criminal that we know of, just being a terrible, really showing her hand here of like, no, nothing happened. I'm not nothing sure. Happened. Her trail has stopped. Fine. I know. Let's oh, change yeah. the subject. We should, we should go. Uh, and then Rousseau shows up. I killed them because they were infected. Mira Furlan, as much as we might make fun of like the Rousseau of it all, I think this is one of her I best her. episodes yet. I, I love just, her. I love because her. we really get to see, you know, as as much as we saw her in a vulnerable place during Exodus when she thought that she could get Alex back by stealing Aaron, the fact that when Claire mentions the teenage girl, we're going to get into it in one of the sounds, but there's just so much going on with her performance visually. Like you see her face change in so many ways, and it actually leaves her at a loss for words at several points in this episode, and it's a brand new side of this character who, granted, was shown to be a bit unhinged to begin with when we first saw her in Solitary, but this is even a newer side of that character. She may not be good at small talk, but we're finding out much more about her in Season 2. Uh, so Claire's going to be like, where, where is it? Where's the place? I remember stuff now. I remember the room. I remember the medicine. I remember the teenage girl. And then a <laughs> light bulb dings. <laughs> bleep, bleep. Uh, she's like, ooh, teenage girl. All right, well, let's go. Lead the way. Let's get out of here. Uh, meanwhile, back at the beach. Uh, remember when I said I don't think that there's another Mr. Echo and Jack scene on Lost? Well, I, lied. I was wrong. I lied. Uh, this is the scene. 
Jack. May I have a word with you? Sure. Who is he? What? The man that you are keeping in the hatch. Did Locke tell you? Locke did not tell me anything. Who is he? I wish to speak to him. Speak to him about what? I wish to speak to him alone. Can you arrange this? Why should I do that? Because you wish to keep this a secret. Oh, I love this scene because this is Off Island Echo. Right. Oh yeah, this is old school. This, this is Ni- this is Nigerian warlord Echo of being like, I'm gonna extort the hell out of you, Jack, to yeah. get what I want. Do the do this for me, or I will tell everyone that you have a hostage and you haven't told anyone. Yeah. And try and you try and stop me. And it's it's just I mean, again, triple A, it's you know, you realize in retrospect how much he's been missed the past few episodes. Again, standout yeah. of season two here. And it just shows how he is someone who, because of his criminal enterprises, much like someone like Sawyer or even Kate knows how to get what he wants. Uh, yeah, through, he can negotiate yeah, the situation. like a sort of manipulation here. And, and Jack falls for it as well. I mean, not he should understandably fall for it because Echo is going to leak his secrets. And I think he does hold some weight, even though he doesn't know a lot of people. But yeah, it's, and Echo is also, at least in this scene, a man of very few words. And we'll get to another Echo scene down the line where he has many, many, many more words. But he just has to let a few words slip to Jack. I need to talk to him. If you don't, I'm telling everyone about him. Oh, I love Mr. Echo. I'm so glad that we have our time with him right now. Um, all right, so in the jungle, it's it's Rousseau, it's Claire, it's Kate. They're walking, and Rousseau leads them to this path in the jungle. Says, "This is where you scratched me. I'm still pretty mad about it." Uh, and she's like, "All right, so where next?" And Claire's like, "What do you mean, where next? I thought you were taking me back to the place because that's that's what you were doing. I scratched you because you were taking me back to them. You said you remembered. You lied." And she goes, "That's what you th- that's what you think happened. You thought I was taking you back to them." Uh, and like she gets like closer to to Claire, and Kate pulls a gun on Rousseau. Yeah, but then Rousseau, badass, just walks straight up to the gun and is like, "Go ahead, shoot me. I do not give a crap at this point." Yeah, she goes, "Do it, yeah, go, go ahead, please." And Kate's like, yeah. "Oh crap, I forgot. This is Danielle Rousseau. I cannot pull a gun on her." Uh, come on, do it. Kill me now. Or Claire, Kate does, and then she realizes that the firing pin's out for some reason. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have, I snuck into your gun. <laughs> got the firing pin. Why do you went to the I'm bathroom? Very, I'm very sneaky like that. Meanwhile, Claire just kind of wanders off because she sees another clearing that gives her a case of the flashies. Uh, and this is where Claire and Ethan are going to have a little bit of a chat that uh, dwells on a lot of the stuff that we've already been talking about with this storyline. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry this is the first time I've managed to get you out. My friends are afraid you'll run away. <laughs> oh. oh! Don't tell on me, okay? Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Easy now. All right. Easy. Easy. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, here. This will help. Oh. Thanks. Mm. What? That's really sour. Is it? Mm-hmm. I hadn't noticed. Nah. Oh. Hey, he's kicking. May I? <laughs> Claire, can I tell you a secret? Yeah. 
I'm going to miss you. I, w I wish you didn't have to go. Maybe I don't have to go. We've been through this, Claire. There's not enough vaccine for you and the baby. Well, I'm not, I'm not sick. Thank God. And once you've delivered, you can go back to your friends and hopefully you'll stay that way. What, what if I want to see the baby? Hey, nobody's going to take him from you unless that's what you want. You have a choice. We're good people, Claire. We're a good family. But if you're going to trust us with your child, I want you to be sure. Okay? It's really interesting having this scene actually happen right after the last sound because now we see manipulation in the complete opposite way. Whereas Echo is robbing Jack of a choice by using blackmail, Ethan is creating the illusion of choice to Claire essentially saying, you don't need to give up your baby if you don't want to. But I think given what the others find out about these people, it's very much preying on Raised by Another and assumingly yeah. what they know about what she did off-island. Right, and I, I expect that that's, that's how they have Catch a Falling Star, right? Like, they know that that's a song that's important to Claire. They've got the files on all these people at this point, you would think. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, if so our theory was correct back in the day that Richard Malkin was an AOJ... That also makes, I mean, that's that's another interesting thing that I found was when Ethan did the whole, we're good people, Claire, we're a good family. Remember that Malkin told Claire, you want to go to L.A. because you want to give the baby to these good people. And so it is very similar vernacular. And you can imagine that's a reason amongst the drugs as to why Claire sort of just stays with them. Yeah, what's up with the sour water? I was going to ask you that. Uh, I mean, you know, when you get things like MRIs and x-rays done, you usually have to consume a liquid that I think is like can be chalky sometimes. Maybe it's that. Okay. Maybe it's drug. Maybe he has alcohol in it, which just makes Ethan that much seedier. But I never understood what that meant. Yeah, the sour water. Right in with your sour water theories. I want them. <laughs> exactly. How do you make water sour uh but yeah that, that was oh well, there's plenty of ways to do it i just want to know like what do people think it, i've i've no i've zero experience with with pregnancy with like the the maintenance involved and the care involved and all of that is this a piece of that uh is this just something mega effed up that ethan is doing i, I, I want to believe the latter because i think ethan's nonchalance the way he plays up oh i didn't notice i think very much just shows that he did notice like i think the, right. the fact that he tried to shrug it oh, off yeah. so much uh he tried to, to do the lady doth protest too much uh or i guess the opposite and being like oh yeah i guess it doesn't really matter keep drinking but, yeah oh i had no idea yeah may, or maybe it's just that ethan loves like the lemon water you know, like there's there's a cooler <laughs> at the staff, and he's just like filling it up there, and he just mixed too much in. That Dharma lemon water with that those electrolyte powders. Uh, we know that they've got some of that. Uh, all right, so Claire is like watching the memory unfold, and this is one of my favorite shots. Yeah, of the this episode. is my by far my favorite, and actually one of my favorite shots in a long time. If I, it's really cool, really because cool. This is how you do an unorthodox on-island flashback, right? Especially someone who is literally walking through their memories as you see them looking upon their past selves as if they were watching a movie play on in real time or like some sort of effed up sleep no more. Uh, but it's a yeah. really cool. Basically, the camera swerves around to the two of them at the rock where the sound just finished to show Claire looking over them uh, as she starts to sort of have her memories come into focus here. 
Yeah. Uh, so she's, her memories are coming into focus, and she is going to see uh, that, oh, we're here. This is this is where the where the where the where the room is. There's a thing over there. There's some doors, uh, and lo and behold, lo and behold, Mike Bloom, it's the staff. Yes, which we will see. I don't know what like two or three more times after this. Like we'll see it in uh in GOC. When we'll we'll be popping in and out of the yeah. staff from time to time. We have, we have the sonogram. Uh, we have Jack with his appendix. I think we have uh, them going. Yeah, I think that's that's season four, right? So that we might only be seeing it a few more times. One of the lesser seen stations, but it makes sense given that the others completely strip it of everything. Sans a sonogram machine when they end up leaving. Yeah, well, they all they leave some stuff behind, right? So they go in, and it's like this creepy sequence. Jack Bender directs the shit out of it as he often does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nursery is mostly taken down, it's just like dust. Uh, There's still just a, a rocking chair and a booty. Do you think that the that Jacob is in that rocking chair? Yeah, the camera's going to pan around, and it's going to be like that one frame of a shadowy... That looks like Christian Shepherd that everyone's going to obsess over for the next three years. Help me. Oh, I cannot wait to get to that. Um, why don't they take the rocking chair? I don't know. Maybe they just feel like it... I think after this mission, if I'm Kate, one of the first things I do is I go to, you know, either whether it's Jack or Saeed or Sawyer... Where like, all right, Sawyer, I want to make a, an alliance with you. There's a rocking chair in this abandoned station, and I want it, and I want your help getting it, and we can timeshare the rocking chair. Mm, I was going to say, could they do, like, instead Hatch 2.0 of, like, a separate hatch that takes place in the Ooh, staff? yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, this seems like a much better... Uh, they should take this over for sure. Uh, I think it's a no-brainer that they should be moving into the, into the staff. Uh, lots of different rooms. Yeah, or... They could... They could make furniture. I would say that I think if Jack had found out about the staff sooner, I think he could have moved people like close to it. Because I agree that I think like as much as it may have been uh, really just stripped of everything, there is enough left behind that Jack could sort of make a makeshift infirmary there, and that's a lot better than having to like lug shot Sawyer to the uh, to the hatch, right? Or, like to have Libby dying out in the middle of the hatch because the hatch is not outfitted for that type of stuff. It also gives Jack an excuse to get the hell out of the hatch. Yeah, exactly. uh, the Swan Station, I'm not and like away from your button lock. anymore, Jack. I'm going to work. Yeah, I feel like they should be moving into the into the staff. The staff should get some more use. Uh, and I just, if if we were giving, I know that we already broke the seal with giving LVP points to heroin. Uh, I'm half tempted to give an MVP point to that rocking chair, but uh, <laughs> there's other MVP points to be awarded this week. Uh, I think I'd probably have to sooner give an MVP point to a fake beard and the- theater glue. Uh, Dharma brand theatrical glue? Yeah, that's a real niche thing. I don't know if the, the Ben Nye, Benjamin Linus Nye of, of the Dharma world is really producing like a, a market for it. Well, so so Kate's going to, like, explore a locker room. She finds, like, the costumes for the others. There's the briefcase with the theatrical glue and the fake beard. Which is interesting to me. So I guess, is that, like, where they kept all the costumes? You'd think they'd keep them at the barracks so they have them on hand, right? I think that they probably just have them, like, planted throughout, like, the island, like, on all these different stations. Like, if you want if you want to, like, uh, you know, like, do your makeup here because your, your act is going to be a little closer to the staff, then you need some stuff at the staff. Uh, if it's going to be closer to the arrow, you have it at the arrow, and so on and so forth. Um, my bigger question is, what was Dharma doing making theatrical glue? Uh, were they, like, doing, uh, was there, like, an annual talent show? Oh, you better believe, like, you know, Dharmaville was putting on their 2004 production of Oklahoma 
before eight one five crash, and they had to Horus Good Speed and uh, and Godspell. Ooh, Horus uh, Godspell. Horus Godspell is that possible? Pre Perry, the way of the incident. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe there was a talent show, and that's a deleted scene. Uh, and this is part oh, of. Oh, now I can really I can imagine. That. I don't know Ben hosting it in an Alan Shemper like way of presenting day by day, day by day. Uh, all right, Claire's gonna have another flash after she touches a little booty that she was uh, sewing for Aaron. Yeah, and I will say uh, maybe this speaks to the care that Ethan is giving Claire. Claire has fantastic hair right now. It might be the best her hair has ever looked on Island. Just in these flashbacks. How dare you uh, with, with the season six hair still on the horizon. Or her uh, season three quick. flashback hair with the raven of... Oh, no, that, that's pretty cool, actually. I think that... I, I love her season three flashback look. This is a badass Claire Littleton. I mean, puts the raven in Emily DeRaven, so I think it makes sense. Yes. Yeah, that's so DeRaven. <laughs> um, all right, so, she, so here's Alex! Hey, Alex! Hey, Alex! First sighting of Alex. Not the first appearance totally of Alex, because we've heard from Alex, we've heard of Alex. But here she is, Tanya Raymond, uh, on the board as Alex, and she's here to help Claire. She says, they're going to kill you tonight. we got to get you out of here. They're going to cut him out of you. You're going to die! Yeah, and I mean, we get this very menacing shot of, yes, indeed, it seems like they are really prepping that OR for what's about to happen. I do wonder, because obviously, you know, we talked about how the others may have shot themselves in both feet by sending their their doctors really out there. Do we imagine that these are other medical officials, or do we think that, like, Ethan was just going to lead all these people, and these are probably the most dexterous others that are part of the group that's left? Yeah, maybe they have some training, um, but they're just not uh, specialists. They're not, they're not uh, you know... They're not chiefs of surgery. They're like other EMTs, basically. They have the basic amount of skills, but not exactly the uh, skill set to be able to do it on their own. This, You know, they're interns. They're Ethan's interns. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't see Ethan as a chief of staff. Actually, maybe it's, I can, considering his bedside manner is apparently fantastic. They're doing their residency on the island. Um but Alex is going to have some trouble with Claire because Claire wants to talk to Ethan. She's really hooked in on the Ethan story right now because she's been drinking. She's been drinking the sour water, uh, and that's been good enough to keep Claire under Ethan's thumb. Uh, she's like, "You're lying! You're lying!" And so Alex knocks her out. <laughs> Poor Claire. I mean, listen, this will be much more humane than what her mother does to her. But like, Claire's like, "I I don't want to be drugged anymore." And Alex is like, "All right, here comes the chloroform." Yeah. All right. Well, sorry. It's gonna happen. I'll leave you on the middle of the jungle and just assume you'll find your way back. Yeah. So Claire is gonna is gonna snap out of it. Um, she goes into this room. Uh, where there's a, an overturned refrigerator. She wants Rousseau's help. Rousseau's kind of shell-shocked. She's never really seen anything like this before. Yeah, so, and so I, mean, she- it, I mean, if what Rousseau knows about the others, right, is that they're rather, like, feral and native, I could imagine when you walk in here... A real wake-up call. And you see, like, a surgical theater, you're like, oh, okay, these are n- by far not the people that I thought they were. And then that probably l- allows you to jeep- leap to a bunch of conclusions about what might have happened to your own daughter, considering yeah. like hey if they were doing weird things with claire who knows what they might have been doing with my baby several years ago totally absolutely um kate comes in helps claire they lift the fridge nothing in it no medicine uh claire's furious about this and she's trying to like rip into rousseau about it. she's like where's the medicine you were bringing me back here weren't you tell me tell me where it is and then uh you know as, as claire looks at the scratches josh the very interesting reappearance of the weird slow-mo. Uh, we haven't seen it in season two in quite some time, or maybe my TV was futzing out, but there was this weird slow-mo lingering shot of Claire staring at Rousseau's arm. 
Oh, I didn't notice that. Uh, maybe I, I missed that. If so, uh, maybe I'm just like accustomed to it at this point. We're like, oh, this is a lost quirk. Sometimes they do strange slow-mo. Um, but I missed the slow-mo. Uh, what does happen is we get another flash. And I think mercifully the last time in this episode. Yes, thank goodness. Because now we're, we're getting like the final missing piece slightly. Again, Ethan said yeah. earlier on, like, I could explain to you how we have all this stuff and what's going on. But you'll find out much, much later down the line but now clara wakes up in the middle of the jungle and i don't know what alex assumed would happen but of course she starts screaming for ethan she starts screaming for ethan and Rousseau is like oh no uh what's going on you don't want to go back there uh and ethan's calling back for claire yeah, he has and a bunch he, of she's torches called- looks like they're about to go storm the beast castle yes exactly uh and then uh to save claire Rousseau knocks out Claire like daughter like mom uh and so this is twice inside of what like an hour that Claire has just been knocked unconscious this is horrible yeah I mean her poor head both inside and outside has been futzed with so much like I think uh she got like a Sawyer amount of just head trauma over the course of one episode and seemingly just- 11 days a dizzying episode of Lost for poor Claire Littleton, who now realizes as we snap back to reality, oh, there goes gravity. Claire is going to say, you weren't trying to take me back. You were trying to save me. And Rousseau's like, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I dragged you back to camp. I carried you on my back. I left you where they'd find you, and you just keep being so mean to me. And then you of course, like, oh, me, I feel awful about there. it. Oh, God, I feel terrible about it. I mean, you did steal my baby. There is that piece of it, but I feel bad about everything else. And then, uh, you know, Rousseau very despondently says, you're not the only one who didn't find what they were looking for. And again, Mira Furlan just has a very, it's very understated, but it's very forlorn, which I think Claire definitely picks up on. Forlorn. Which is, yeah, very very (laughs) forlorn and forlorn. Uh, But again, just a really great nuanced performance from her as, you know, she gets hope in her eyes for the first time in this entire series so far. Um, and we hear a little bit more about that. Once Rousseau very like sadly leaves the staff and everybody leaves the staff, uh, Claire is going to try and give Rousseau a little bit of hope. And then Rousseau is going to give Claire a little bit of shot of reality. Uh, let's listen in on this one. This is as far as I go. Your baby. Was it a girl? What was her name? Alex? Alexandra. I remember a girl. A girl with blue eyes. She, uh, she helped me. She saved me. Just like you did. She wasn't like the others. She was good. I'm sorry that you didn't find what you were looking for. And I hope your baby is not infected. But if it is, 
I hope you know what must be done. What do you have to do? Kill the baby! Before it gets its arm torn off by the monster. I mean, yikes! I hope you know what must be done. Yeah, uh, nurse it back to health and not kill the baby. I don't know. I mean, again, this is... This is Rousseau. Like, I love the fact that she has this ability to be so heart-torn, but then also the trauma of what she's experienced has fundamentally shaped who she is as a person. And this is a really interesting episode and a really interesting scene when we know what happens to Claire, right? That essentially, in the time we we don't see Claire between seasons four and six, Claire becomes the new Rousseau. She becomes the person who has squirreled herself out in the woods, who creates this baby out of skeletons, who has become, like, obsessed with trapping others, torturing that guy, Justin. It's a really cool transition that I didn't notice until this episode when I remembered how much of a connection they made over being mothers and, you know, the connection they have with their children. Granted, Claire is going to leave Aaron behind to more so embrace her connection with the man in black, whereas Rousseau is going to have to kill everyone including her lover because of the man in black but i think it's a really interesting character connection um i will also ask is this rousseau's version of that famous scene from exodus part one josh where sawyer tells jack about the runner he had in a bar in australia Ooh, uh elaborate on that how do you figure what's well, this idea right where this one character knows the connection that the other one doesn't knows that like the, re- the important relationship that they had and claire is essentially telling Russo, hey, I saw Alex, just like Sawyer is basically telling Jack, hey, I had a conversation with this guy in Australia who had a doctor for his son. And it's this really great thing where it doesn't need to be explicitly said, but you see in the eyes of those two characters in Jack and Russo how much it means to them to hear about that person and what they had to say and what they represented, even if what they meant in their own minds was not necessarily that, right? They hoped that that person would turn out to be like that. Russo hoped that Alex would turn out to be a good person. Jack hoped that his father loved him. And even though they never got the verbal confirmation from those parties, they find out about it here through a secondhand source. Yeah, no, I think that that works. I think my temptation was, I believe it's the end of Trisha Tanaka, where Kate uh, gives Russo the spiel of, uh, I I found your daughter. I'm pretty sure she's your daughter. Um, But that's more of a twist than like an emotional landing. Uh, This is the emotional landing. So I think that that's a good pull. Yeah, and I think that, again, it just shows a really interesting turn from Rousseau where she goes from that. And again, you see Amelia Furlan, like you see tears develop in her eyes. And it's, it's one of these things where like, she, I think, had just lost all hope. She was really crushed by this idea that she was finally, possibly was going to be able to see alex for the first time and basically since she was taken she didn't have that opportunity but claire does reveal to rousseau not only is alex alive but she's not one of them she, she's good she's good and that means at multiple levels means like she's good like yeah she has a boyfriend you know her daddy's taking care of her because he's the leader of the others but also she's good as in like she's not who you think she might become and i think for rousseau at the moment that's like all she needs right now Music. but again she's gonna yeah. snap right back to it by being like, well, despite all that, shit can still go down here on the island. And so you have to be prepared to make yeah, this. Thanks for that, that good news, but be ready to just 
drown your kid? Like, what do you? T- I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's that. But that's Rousseau. That's Rousseau. That's Rousseau. That she can she yeah. can have this emotional depth to her, but at the same time, this is someone who has been through so much and has, has built up. Look so- at you, Mike. You're number one Rousseau stand in the I'll house. I'll be completely here. honest. I love. Yeah, I love, I love it. I love, I love it. Love I think her. this is great. This is it. well. I think that's what she did underwent, <laughs> like, has really built up this 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 system of of walls around her, and so when yeah. she breaks it down for a second, she has to build it back up by being reminded of because of Alex partially, the trauma that she underwent, and knowing what some people have to do on this island. Granted, she feels like you have to go through it rather than it being an option, but I just, I just thought it was a really interesting turn from the character. Just a really interesting episode from this character, and I believe... When, are we going to see her in the rest of season two? I can't remember. Oh, off the top of my head, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure no. So if that's a wrap on Daniel um, Russo for this season, I think it's a it's a super high note to go out on. I believe that that's it for Russo this season, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, all right, so that's it on Russo, and what we're going to get into is yet another great, great Henry Gale scene, and uh, the only echo in Henry Gale scene that I can think of. Wow, we're just crossing character head. interactions as one and done. But every time I every time I say that, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, not every time. So we're not going to get to see Echo and Daniel Faraday. Oh, That's oh not that happen. would be amazing. Just like Faraday, just sort of like blinking all over the place, and Echo just trying to put up with that BS the entire time. It's a set. shame that we're not going to see Echo and Miles. Like Miles isn't going to see Echo's ghost. That would have been cool. Yeah. Absolutely, or he could have talked to Yemi for Echo. Yeah, that could have been cool. But Echo is going to come with Jack to the to the hatch. Locke is doing dishes. Locke's doing dishes all throughout the episode, uh, and Jack is saying, "All right, well, uh, so this guy knows what's up." And Locke doesn't even like fight. He's like, "Okay, well, there you go." Uh, well, right, right. So it also e- makes sense given that again, Locke was proposing, and one of the previous sounds was like, "People are eventually going to find out." So I think he probably yeah. takes it as a sign, like, "Yeah, Jack's coming over yeah. to my side, letting people in yeah. on the secret." Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, so Echo is going to have a face to face with Henry, and it's going to sound a little something like this. Hello. I am Mr. Echo. Henry Gale. Do you mind if I sit, Henry? Okay. How long have you been in here? Two days. Are they treating you well? Treating me well? I'm a, a prisoner. And I don't know why or for what. You are a prisoner or... because they are being careful. They are being careful because they believe you are lying. Why would I lie? They think I'm one of these others? Other what? Please stop talking, Henry. The first night I spent on this island, I was dragged into the jungle by two men. They never spoke a word to me, No, I to them. I killed these men, smashed in their head with a stone, felt their blood on my arms.
I need you to know how sorry I am for this. I need you to know that I am back on a righteous path now and that I regret my actions. I ask you for your forgiveness. Why are you telling me this? Because I needed to tell someone. course that noise is him cutting off his two little beard braids josh oh i was gonna i was gonna say that's where he cuts off henry's face <laughs> uh, it is done he no longer done. has a face his face is gone now it is uh, my face. no yeah it's, it's the two little bits of beard that uh he's been rocking all this time and certainly on the first glance like i think that i i never really noticed that other than like that's just part of his aesthetic and his character but certainly never once crossed my mind that he had like two little beard knobs uh to represent the two people that he killed yeah, i never thought it represented uh, that. i thought it was just that it grew to a certain length that he would you know tie them off i mean i guess josh depending on how long we're quarantining i think certain people are willing to cut their own beards with knives at this point a la mr echo uh, my neared right now is at a length that as I'm speaking, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm twisting my neared to create like two little, two little knobs. Ah, will uh, that represent the number of podcasts you've done this week? Yeah, the number of pod. no, definitely not. More than no, that. No, you'd be fully braided uh, by then. So, uh, Echo 100% suspects that Ben's another, right? Definitely, definitely, 100%. I mean, I think that you put Echo in the same category as a Saeed Jarrah, yeah. right? Of, of somebody that, like, I, I know it's up. Like, I, I know that you're one of them. Um, that'll be my business if it becomes my business. If not, at the very least, like, I just want to let you know I'm really sorry for killing some of your people. Yeah, exactly. Because, again, this is someone who is begrudgingly pursuing the path of salvation and, you know, trying to make up for the sins that he's committed in the past— and that includes yep. on the island killing two of these guys. And so he has, he's almost forced to like have to go to confession, talk to their leader, and be like, hey, just so you know, I did this. I'm sorry. I'm going to cut it off. This is done now. I'm done atoning. Let me go back to my church, please. I need the saw, John Locke. That's, that's what it is. He needed to get this off his chest before he could go back to to building the church. I just I love AAA. I love Adewale so much. I think that he plays this character so well. Every moment that we get with him is a is a blessing because they're so few. They're tragically so few in the grander scheme of Lost. Uh, and here, this line that he has: uh, "I'm back on the righteous path now, and I regret my actions. I ask you for your forgiveness." Is is so great. I also love when he just goes, "Stop talking." Uh, I love that because again, it's it's very Saeed and that like he sees right through his bs and it also shows how we're gonna get to a scene later on very very soon with him and his jailer mr Locke, who is not going to shut him up he is going to yeah. listen to that bs partially because he is someone who also loves a good monologue here and there and that's just gonna suck him into his cosmos or his little uh, whirlpool further and further I love how Michael Emerson uh, really enunciates the H in other what? <laughs> I think it's because he wants it to sound so foreign. Like, I've never heard of one of those things. I couldn't possibly yeah. be one. An other what? Uh, all right. So back at the beach, Jack's with Claire. Aaron's fever broke. Hooray! The rash is fading. He's doing much better. And Claire is going to have a, a sweet little pump-up speech for her son. Mommy made this for you. 
when you were still inside her tummy. You know, I wanted them to take you. But now, I know, now I know that we're supposed to be together. You and me. We're supposed to take care of each other, okay? You're mine, and I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> so I, I want you're mine, <laughs> and we belong. I, I want. I really want to dig into this scene because there's so much interesting stuff about it. But first, I will say, uh, yes, this scene did break me. Uh, when I was watching this, because I mean, Aww. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll admit, I'm I'm someone who wears his heart on his sleeve, and like I tell my son I love him several million times a day, and just to like good, ha- that's and just great. to have that affirmed, so, like uh, you know, on screen with some of these characters, like I felt that, you know, much like I felt Claire's paranoia and fear at the beginning of the episode, I felt her love here. Now, I'm I'm gonna throw something out here, Josh. Is this one of the best Claire scenes in all of Lost. Oh, wow. I know it's a weird um, bar to clear, but I, I I just really like this monologue, not only from Emily DeRavin, but from the character's perspective as well. I think probably yes. And the reason being that Aaron is rocking my favorite look, one sock on and one sock texture. off. Uh, that textural temperature contrast He's got the one booty on and the one booty off. So just out of solidarity, I got to say that this is uh, among the top 10 best Claire scenes in all of Lost. No, it's a great scene. It's a great scene. I don't think that it's a scene that I have much of anything in the way of recall on. Um, Like, obviously, I know it because we're talking (laughs) about it right now. But if you and if you ask me about it again in a few weeks, I'll probably remember it. Um, But if you in like a couple months from now, ask me to recite every single thing that happened in maternity leave. I don't know that I'd remember this scene. That's because I'd wipe your memory from it by drinking, drinking my sour water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, I think that it's also because of how I uh, meet life versus where you're meeting life these right. days. You're a parent, Mike. I'm not. That's not in my immediate future. Uh, if it's in my future at all, um, it's it's not just you know. It, it's your life now. You're a parent, and it's an irreversible piece of you, uh, and it's changed you. I'm sure you would think uh, much for the better uh, that it has uh, fundamentally altered who you are and how you view the world. So I think a scene like this is going to resonate with you in a way that it's just not going to resonate with me in the same way and i think that's the beauty of art uh generally and i think it's it's a a big part of of what i love about lost uh and why i think that this is such a great show that just meets you wherever you are uh, as, as i'm constantly saying. yeah well i think for me one of the reasons why i really love this scene is not only my own life connection but the fact that i do feel like claire's character is so instrumentally connected to the character of aaron maybe even more so than the character of Charlie, that I feel like this is like a quintessential Claire scene, right? Like she is affirming her, she's always going to be in his life. We're supposed to take care of each other. You're mine and I love you. I love you so much. I love how that's 
again, a complete 180 from her in the flashbacks of Raised by Another when she doesn't want the kid. Even flashbacks in this episode when she's like, hey, Ethan, I'm willing to give up the baby. Please, like, to have her fall head over heels in love with this kid that she didn't even want to begin with was a really beautiful arc to watch. But I also will ask, does it make this scene better or worse knowing what's going to happen to Claire over the next few seasons? Yeah. Like, the fact is, she leaves Aaron behind in season four to chase after the man in black who's masquerading as her father, but she ends up leaving the island in the finale when Kate convinces her that, you know, as much as as screwed up as you may think being Rousseau 2.0, you, Aaron does need you. So it's, it, yeah, so it's this weird thing where like, it's almost a wash, right? Where like, she does, you know, betray her own words by leaving him behind and having Kate raise him. But then she does come back for him at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, no, great points all around. Um, I, I really love the idea of Claire becoming Russo 2.0. I, I think the execution is, is wanting a little bit for me, right. but I think the idea of that is, is really, really Because really I think that's all off screen, right? Like, it would be, it would yeah. have been nice if season five or some webisodes had shown Claire slowly becoming mentally compromised and also would have shown how she got into the temple and that damn pit in season six. But it's an interesting transition, sort of like the, spoiler alert, reminds me of, like, the uh, final montage in the end of The Wire. Right, where you get to see, like, the, the wheel keeps turning. It's just with different characters playing the same roles. Um, speaking of wheels turning, how about the guy who's going to turn a wheel? Both of these guys yeah. are going to turn wheels at some point in Lost. The episode ends, maternity leave ends, with a really great scene between Ben and Locke. One of the one of the really great first early chess... The first chess match between Locke and Ben? Really? I, I prefer, I prefer uh, Backgammon, personally, but... Yeah, but but here here it goes as Locke is going to come to to Henry with some dinner, more fruit, sadly not a cheeseburger, and the following exchange is going to take place to close out the episode. No cheeseburgers, huh? No cheeseburgers. Bon appetit. Is that true, what you said about Hemingway? You have good ears. You have thin doors. You read Hemingway? Sure. Guy ran with the bulls, fought in the Spanish Civil War. Stuff I can wrap my brain around this, I can't get through five pages of. Hmm. Dostoevsky had his virtues, too. He was a genius, for one. Bullfighting isn't everything. So which one are you? I'm sorry. Are you the genius? Or are you the guy who always feels like he's living in the shadow of the genius? I was... I was never very much into literary analysis. I just don't understand why you let the doctor call the shots. No one calls the shots. Jack and I make decisions together. Right, okay. My mistake. 
and then Locke leaves the room and like just throws a bunch of shit all over the kitchen because he's so mad at what Henry has just said, and Henry is listening in through those thin little walls. Uh, and you can imagine that. I believe he's silhouetted, but you can imagine there's like a slight smirk creeping across his face, right? I was looking for it. They play it, they play it pretty even. Yeah. I, I do think they play it pretty even. Um, but like at this point, you do have to be walking away from this scene being like, this guy is one of them for sure. Yeah. This guy is, this is a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, this is essentially like, this is Ben trying to turn the interrogation onto Locke and Jack by trying to pit them against one another and i don't think any mining hot air balloon enthusiast from minnesota is capable of that no offense any minnesotan mining leaders that are hot air balloon enthusiasts but like the the capability of of just pure i don't know just just pure whimsiness with his words that he's able to utilize here and just the subtle tactics to really prey into some of John Locke's biggest complexes that he has right now in season two of Lost is extremely, extremely well done. So much so that they bring out his anger problem, which we have only seen from Locke in a few occasions, more so in this season. He's starting to crack. He's cracking. He's cracking much like that's those ceramic plates around him. Uh (laughs) Much like the thing you release. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, I mean, and and especially, like, the playoff, too, right? It's like the, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, my mistake. And, I mean, Locke is trying to... Oh, so and good. And Locke <laughs> is trying to present a united friend for what it's worth. You know, Jack and I make decisions together. We both know that's not true. Locke knows that's not true. Henry knows that's not true. He They have thin doors. He just listened to the conversation that they had in sound number two. So he knows it's BS. And I think Locke knows that he knows it's BS as well. But, again, he's trying to sort of play the company line here but oh it's just it's so smoothly done obviously i think next week we're going to get the more infamous uh ben scene with uh asking for his milk but this is another really really great conversation of him trying to oh so subtly pry into john Locke. Yeah, uh, the Terry O'Quinn and Michael Emerson dynamic is one of the greats on all of Lost, and I think it's not one of the underrated ones. I think it's one that is uh, very properly rated. It's not overrated either. It is just one of the very best dynamics throughout all of Lost. Two actors who are so good, who bring out so much great stuff in each other. Um, I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but uh, shortly after Lost ended... There was talk about a bad robot show that uh, Terry O'Quinn and Michael Emerson were going to do. Uh, where it was like going to be like the two of them were playing like um, mercenaries uh, who had like domestic lives and were like neighbors and were like close friends who worked together as mercenaries secretly. Uh, and that show never came to pass, unfortunately. Uh, I think Terry O'Quinn would go on to, I think it was 666 Park uh-huh. Ave was his next thing. And certainly Michael Emerson would go on for a starring role on all of Person of Interest, another bad robot show. Um, so it's a shame that that never happened. I want to live in the alternate universe where that show came to pass because their scenes together on Lost are so, 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 so good. And what's exciting to me, Mike, is that we're just at the start of that road right <laughs> yeah, now. You and I. It's going to be a really, a lot, yeah, it's gonna be a, a a really, lot. really fun, like foreign change seasons to follow, yeah. especially once now, once Henry actually outs himself as Ben Linus and really does not like put on guises, that's when really it starts to become a really fun showdown. But there's some really great moments here where, ironically, despite Ben being the prisoner that's only allowed a certain number of bathroom breaks, he's the one that's holding the power right now over Locke by being able to really bring out Locke feeling uh, simultaneously like under the thumb of Jack, but also superior 
to him, and that's just a crack that's going to be that's going to keep needling and needling and needling until he says, "You know what, Henry? I'm going to let you out, and you're going to help me push the button a few episodes from now because I'm inconvenienced by a door in my leg." Yeah, again from the very triggeringly named lockdown. Uh, coming, coming your, coming your way in just a couple of weeks. Um, let's get into the feedback, but before we do, let's take a quick second to thank our friends, our sponsors for this episode. Support for today's episode comes from Progressive Insurance. Fun fact, Progressive customers qualify for an average of six discounts when they sign up for Progressive Auto Insurance. Discounts for things like enrolling in automatic payments, insuring more than one car, going paperless, and of course, being a safe driver. Plus, customers who bundle their auto with home or add renter's insurance save an average of 12% on their auto. There's so many ways to save when you switch, and once you're a customer with Progressive, you get unmatched claim service with 24-7 support online or by phone. It's no wonder why more than 20 million drivers trust Progressive and why they've recently climbed to the third largest auto insurer in the country. So get a quote online at Progressive.com in as little as five minutes and see how much you could be saving. Auto insurance from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Home and renter's insurance not available in all states, provided and serviced by affiliated and third-party insurers. Discounts vary and are not available in all states and situations. All right, Mike Bloom. Um, we're going we're gonna to start our others section uh, with, with Ben Martell, the Ben behind the curtain, doing the Lord's work uh, and doing some fact checking on on some of the stuff that John Locke is talking about. According to Ben, Locke is once again probably creating a story out of thin air where it comes to Ernest Hemingway. Uh, he, he said, Ben writes this, Hemingway was certainly an admirer of Dostoevsky, saying in his book, A Movable Feast, that in Dostoevsky there were things believable and not to be believed, some so true, they changed you as you read them. Hemingway was committed to making fiction seem real and admired Dostoevsky for this reason. Hemingway also included the brothers Karamazov, yeah, I can't pronounce that at all, in a short list of books that were essential for any aspiring author. However, all internet references to Hemingway having any particular jealousy of Dostoevsky or feeling he couldn't live up to his work appear to be directly lost related. So clearly Locke is projecting with some of these stories, right? Like he's just making up facts out of thin air to put himself in those situations, whether he realizes it or not. Unless there's just this one really seedy site on the internet that Locke goes to for all his information that are just like made up stories from this one guy and that he's taking his yeah. face value. Amazing. <laughs> like, just absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, here's a fun fact about maternity leave that I didn't realize that you know how there's a lot of talk and, and joking about how there's going to be a seventh season of Lost that's the zombie season? Right. Uh, so on the official Lost podcast on March 20th, 2006, in recapping maternity leave uh, on the official Lost podcast, uh, this is where the idea came from. They were discussing how fun it is to have narrative structures that allow them to get actors like William Mapether back on Lost as Ethan, even though the character is dead. And that's where Damon and Carlton first coined the idea that season seven of Lost was going to be the zombie season. Uh, we are still waiting for the zombie season of Lost, Mike. And I do think... Uh, I don't know if you saw this. We're you know we're recording this. Uh, this podcast is recording May seventh, twenty twenty. Just a couple of days ago, over on Vulture, 
there was uh, I, I, I read this article that was um, a scene for The Sopranos that took place during quarantine, written by David Chase. Oh. I feel like I feel like Lindelof and Cuse, especially with the ten year anniversary of the series finale coming coming up soon, they got to do a special quarantine episode of Lost. If not a zombie season of Lost, then at least a quarantine episode is something that we need in but our like, lives. But like what? Would they do? Would this be like continue to be in the Flash Sideways universe, where like they they haven't gone through the? To the tr- they could just do a Desmond Bottle episode of Desmond in the Hatch. I guess so. Yeah, and maybe they'll like have Penny show up on the screen on Zoom or something at a certain point yeah. through, through the anti- antiquated <laughs> computer. Yeah, I think it could just be a joke, but I think it'd be great. Yeah, maybe you know what? Maybe uh, it's it's Kelvin and Brzezinski's time in the Hatch. That's what the entire Bottle episode is. Hopefully, those two actors live close enough to each other and are not sick. Speaking of isolation, Mike, uh, Maternity Leave is the single most isolated episode in all of Lost. Would you like me to explain what that means? Please do. Once again, from the bend behind the curtain, Maternity Leave aired two weeks after one of them and three weeks before The Whole Truth, which means it's the single most isolated episode in season two schedule-wise. The scheduling became such a focal point in criticism that the official Lost podcast had to address it directly, and it led to an agreement between the producers and ABC to air season three in two chunks with no isolated episodes. Interesting. I would, I would, be, I would bet it's got something to do with March well, Madness. Well, actually, I believe um, so, because going back to our other island-based show that we'd love to talk about so much survivor i believe that was in a survivor exile island when they took like a three-week break in the middle of that season for march madness which really got you know everyone's goat as well so it just seemed like that was the time when shows would just flat out drop their shows for a few weeks knowing everyone was watching march madness yeah so i don't know people like basketball i i mean it's interesting i didn't even think about Three weeks of real time will have passed between this episode and the next episode that we're about to talk about. Um, all right, uh, let's get into some feedback. Dallin Servo asks us if this episode is a game changer. How much of a game changer is this episode? Does the success of this episode allow the writers to experiment more in season three by having the entire episode be a flashback? Uh, or at least an on-island flashback, I think is what Dallin means. Um, I would give the credit more to the other 48 yeah. days. And that I think the other 48 days allows maternity leave and three minutes later in the season to exist. Yep, I would say that the other 48 days could walk so those seasons could run. Though I would actually say that, spoiler alert for 4.2 stars, uh, I liked the other 48 days better than maternity leave. Sure, uh, But I Same. think that's more so something that was more of the, the big game changer. Considering I think that was more of like a big event to sort of plan the non-structures around as much as this may have been in the hopper, maybe even before the tailies came into the picture. And it certainly uh, just does continue that formula of making on-island flashbacks become a thing moving forward. That's going to be the nice transition between off-island flashbacks that take place in the future, which really is going to change the game. I would not say that this, this episode is as much of a game changer as something like the other 48 days, where not only did we see that for the first time, but it was also giving the, this, us the experience of characters that we really didn't know. Yeah, uh, Stefan Johnson has a funny shot to take. Uh, did we skip the episode where Locke and Jack made a decision together? Uh, yeah, th- has that ever really happened? Like, how many decisions have they actively made together? Well, let's talk about recently, because Hunting Party, right, they disagreed about a good number of things. 
Uh, maybe Jack did not disagree about Charlie getting punched in the face. Maybe that was the first time they made a decision. No, together. he didn't seem to love it. He didn't love it. it. It also, on top of just being like kind of like a shitty thing to do, it put more work on Jack's plate. He had to sew his face back together. <laughs> oh my god, you're, you thought like Charlie got his face ripped off like with Echo's knife? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the long con they both decided that they got conned by Sawyer. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. They, they both, the decision they both made was Sawyer's an asshole. Exactly. Agreed. We're on the same page with that one. <laughs> um, Daniel Brennan says, using Libby to guide Claire at the beginning of the episode was a smart way to use one of the tailies outside of their own character-centric episode. Do you think the writers used the tailies effectively to this point? Um, ben Martell also adds, back in whatever the case may be, may remember a story about Damon taking time away from the show and returning to a plot line about Hurley hypnotizing Claire to help her recover her memories. Uh, does putting a very similar plot line in Libby's hands work better. Uh, just give me like your take on, on the Libby of it all uh, in this episode. Yeah, I mean, again, this will probably inform my opinion of the 4.2 stars. I'm not a huge fan of like the beginning of this episode. I think that the last act, last third, much like a, a lot of the, some of these middling season two episodes, really are powerhouses. Like, I think the last act in particular is really, really strong. That's why four out of the eight sounds came from it. But I will say that, you know, including Libby in here for her one scene... I guess it was a way to sort of open up about the enigma that is Libby and get to know a bit about her further. But it sort of is the same thing to me as to why I'm not a huge fan of, like, the incorporation of Anna Lucia into last week's plot. That it feels less like using them for characters and more like using them for devices. And while we do find out a bit more as to, you know, hey, this is Libby's past history, perhaps, because, again, we still don't know exactly where she came from. It was not exactly jumping out to me as much as, for example, the stuff they're doing with Mr. Echo. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, all right, let's take this from Jim Fells once again. Uh, since it's the one episode this episode does not explain, it's the one thing this episode does not explain, what do you guys make of the scratches Ethan had on his face in Homecoming? Did Mr. Friendly scratch him? Was this his line? Uh, yeah, because we know about the scratches on Rousseau, but what about the scratches on Ethan's face? I wonder, uh, maybe he ran into Rousseau and Rousseau scratched him up. Could it have been like just him running through some pricker bushes or getting snubbed yes, by it bees? Could be. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that he just like tripped and fell. Yeah, and he just didn't want to tell anybody because he'd be super embarrassed. Because they're like, I was born on this island. You'd think I know it to not trip everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Eric Divestein says, what sick person went to all that effort to make that Oceanic Airlines mobile? And to what I end? I agree. I agree. Just yeah. seems like a weird place to be like, hey, let me reintroduce some trauma by putting the plane that you crashed in on this thing that your kid's going to mm-hmm. look at every time he goes to sleep. Andrew Yu says, don't you think there should be a constant flow of people into the hatch taking showers and taking dumps? I guess the question is, and we got this question a few weeks ago, right, with like the how much are the gawkers let in on locks? uh four shift rotation here because yeah otherwise i would agree that like they totally should be going to the bathroom at least taking advantage of that there should be a line out the door but i guess maybe locked no there's got to be a rule you can't we, we don't we don't know if we can unclog this <laughs> thing if it gets clogged number ones only number ones only but does that does That's that also it. incorporate for henry gale like does he have to get led ah. out to the jungle if he has to go number two? Oh, good question good question uh maybe they just you know he has to slum it in a bucket. I don't know. Um, this is from uh, Matt McGee, uh, who wants to weigh in on something from last week, Mike. Matt writes in, The Hurley-Sawyer subplot in one of them is one of the worst in all of Lost for many of the reasons you discussed in the podcast, but I feel compelled to defend one tiny aspect of the subplot, the jungle ranch. Ooh. I spent a couple of months at a research station in the jungle where we had no electricity. 
It was hot and extremely humid, and we mostly had to stick to non-perishable food like rice and beans. One of the few condiments that actually persisted in the jungle was mayonnaise. We had a giant tub of mayonnaise that sat on a shelf on the kitchen for months. It was there when I arrived. It was there when I left, and it was completely fine. Never expected to write an email defending the usage of mayonnaise-based products on Lost, but here we are. All right, Matt, uh, Jungle Ranch, I guess uh, we're going to defer to your expertise. Jungle Ranch is approved. You lived through Jungle Mayonnaise, so I have to assume that your knowledge of (laughs) jungle-based condiments, you are the expert here. All right, and uh, we're going we're gonna to pour some ranch on another thing uh, that was said last week. This is from David Lipkin, Mike. Uh, David writes in, as a lifelong Minnesotan, I feel the need to point out how wrong you are about mining not being likely in Minnesota, since Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. That's a lot of lakes. With many large and notable rivers, it's also the home of mining for things like clay, sand, and gravel. Ben's story is 100% plausible, except for the fact that he's lying through his teeth. Uh, this is reason probably 500 that you know i'm from the northeast is that uh i do not have no idea i do not have much experience in the ways of the midwest i think we also got a comment from someone saying that the uh the conglomerate 3m stands for minnesota mining and manufacturing company Mm -hmm. so apparently minnesota is just rife in non-metallic mining i had no idea but thank you for teaching me now i know okay knowing is half an education it's an education every single time we, we get on the horn here on Down the Hatch, including a music education. Take us to music school. What did Jim Fells teach us with his music analysis of this episode? So understandably, lots of motifs popping up around the others. Uh, there's the unsettling motif from the pilot when they're sort of looking at the plane that pops up when Rousseau shows up at camp. You hear that uh, in the intro of this podcast. There's uh, The Rousseaus sort of have this little string motif that gets introduced, which is very interesting. Like, uh, we hear it again when, you know, we hear it with Claire's flashback with Rousseau, but we hear it when, like, Alex helps Kate and Sawyer escape. Uh, we hear it, you know, there's, there's a really actually nice comparison about when these, show, these sounds show up uh, in the scene where Claire props up the fridge with Kate and when Danielle Rousseau ultimately dies alongside Carl. And ironically enough, both scenes uh, have someone counting to three during it so it's a weird connection across both dialogue and music as to like a very pivotal moment for danielle Rousseau here and will ultimately be ultimately be her final moment in season four but obviously yeah, lots of Rousseau and other focused stuff this episode all right let us get in to the mvps and the lvps section uh i believe i have three MVPs to hand out this week, and you have two, Mike, uh, and then you've got three LVPs, and I've got two. So I guess I'll kick us off. And uh, second appearance in a row on Lost, uh, second appearance in a row on the the MVP board, got to give it to, to my man Ben Linus, who just so effectively gets under John Locke's skin. And to, to spoil an LVP point, it's for that reason yeah. that I'm going to give Locke an LVP this week. How dare you break all of that precious... Uh, the, those precious dishes, but also to do it within earshot of Ben and let him know how much he got under your skin is such a bad look and such a great look for Henry Gale. These flatware is like a fixed commodity. You know, you can't go out to the pottery barn on the island and get some more. There's only so many plates you could eat off of, John Locke. Don't waste the luxury uh, that you're living in right now. It's a bad call. It's a bad call. But Ben gets the point, and Locke's going to get an LVP point. I'm going to give a point to Claire here, not only because she had to weather so much damage to her head over the course of her flashback, but, you know, the adamancy with which she went out into the jungle, the care she showed for Aaron overall, 
shows a long way from the person who, you know, freaked out to Charlie in the jungle, Neri, a month ago, saying how much, how scared she was to have a baby and how she didn't even want the baby in the first place. So, I mean, this is our penultimate Claire flashback episode. So, you know, I want to take the time to acknowledge her when she gets the opportunity to be in the spotlight. Uh, I'm going to give a point to Claire. Uh, not to Claire, to Kate. Remember when I used to confuse Claire and well, Kate? Well, you just did again. It <laughs> uh, just happened again. Uh, I'm going to give a point to Kate because uh, she's Claire's ride or die in this episode, and I think she's just awesome. I think she's a great partner on this expedition. Uh, she's she's very defensive of, of Claire. Uh, she's willing to drop anything to help out Aaron. That's good foreshadowing for where that character is going moving forward. So give a point to Kate for sure. All right. I'm going to I'm going to break the rules a little bit here uh because Josh a while back you split a point between the Quans between I Jin remember and yeah and I'm going to take a page and split a point among two people who also <laughs> share the same last name because look okay. I want to somehow I want to give a point to Alex because she helped free Claire from dying but I want to give a point to Rousseau uh, Danielle Rousseau, as well for not only, you know, carrying Claire back to camp, unlike Alex, who just left her in the middle of the jungle, but also for Mira Furlan's really great performance in this episode. So I decided, you know what, let's split the point between mother and daughter. Let's go halvesies. Let's go halvesies. That's good. I like it. Uh, happy with that. Um, a half point for Alex Rousseau on the board, officially. Uh, a point for Mr. Echo. He's able to effectively blackmail Jack. He's able to to successfully suss out that there is a prisoner in the hatch. No one had to tell him. He just he knew. He got a haircut. Uh, he got a haircut. Uh, he got something off his chest. A great monologue. It's another Mr. Echo sighting. It's another MVP point on the board for Mr. I Echo. I believe they call it jackmail, by the way. Jackmail. <laughs> That's right. All right. So moving over to the LVPs. Uh, so I have three. Josh, you have two. I'm going to just offload two right now. Going on to Ethan Rom. Uh, for kidnapping Claire and also leading her along by assuming that you know she was going to uh, that she was going to just be able to freely wander back to camp when she he knew she was basically going to die and also for uh, souring her water apparently yeah yeah that wasn't cool uh, I already gave an LVP, LVP point to Locke I'm gonna give my second LVP point just broadly to the others um, not just for losing Claire, which is obviously no good, uh, and not keeping enough tabs on Alex and engendering enough trust with Alex that Alex would be on board, but also clearing everything out except for the beard and theatrical glue and all of the evidence that the others are not who they say they are. That's bad. You cleared everything out. How Whoever was responsible for leaving that shit behind is an idiot and deserves an LVP point. And if it could be somebody that I could specifically identify, that person would get the LVP point. But because I can't, I'm just broad brushing the others. I will also give an LVP point to this because also, how do how are they not able to like outrace Danielle Russo carrying, you know, knocking out Claire and carrying her on her back? Unless Danielle Russo yeah. truly is Wonder Woman, you would imagine they get some sort of jump on her, right? Maybe that's where you think you gets think scratches. So. You would think so, but apparently not. All right. Uh, Mr. Echo is still comfortably in the front of the pack. Uh, 12 MVP points. Saeed is closest with eight. Uh, not too many changes on the leaderboard aside from that, other than the fact that Locke is dripping. Locke's at one right now. One MVP Oh, point no. Here. We're starting to get into Charlie two. territory here for Locke. 
We'll see. We'll see. Uh, let's talk about the 4.2 star episode rankings that we are doing here on Down the Hatch. Uh, of course, I give a score from 0 to 4.2. So does Mike. So does the audience. The audience average is then averaged with myself and Mike's scores. Three data points that gives us our fourth and final uh, official score for the episode on Down the Hatch. I think I think I'm coming at this. Ep- I think I'm giving maternity leave a lower score than it deserves. I I think maternity leave is a better episode than I am going to be uh, than than is reflected in my ranking of it. But my my ranking is maybe reflecting just how much I enjoyed the episode. Mm-hmm. Giving maybe this is like criminally low. I don't know maternity leave. I'm giving a three point three. Okay, I'm giving it a a three point three. You know, it's a good episode of Lost for sure. Um, I guess I just had higher expectations of it. Coming back to it for whatever reason, the audio quality really, really <laughs> messes with me. Really messed with my enjoyment of the episode. Um, it's not totally historic because the other forty-eight days does this first. Uh, I'm glad that maternity leave does this, but even being an on-island flashback, I think like a lot of those flashes aren't necessarily like majorly compelling. Yep. I think I think it's it's great that we're having a full on island episode and that's great, but I don't know that I'm massively compelled by a lot of those flashes. The biggest, most provocative thing uh, is twofold: one, the, the first sighting of Alex, and the other, Mister Friendly without the beard, is is kind of cool. But I don't know. I guess this episode left me a little bit cold. I, I, I love all the Henry Gale stuff. All oh, that's really good. Um, the rest of it, I just kind of feel like it's just sort of like people in the jungle and these are people that i like a lot so i'm I'm happy to see them it's a it's an episode of lost uh i'm I'm gonna enjoy it for sure and i've enjoyed this episode more than i enjoyed some other episodes this season for sure um but i don't think that i enjoyed it much more than a 3.3 so that's where i'm gonna put it this is a fine episode of lost in my opinion i it's 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 a totally good episode it's a good episode it's it's like the same way i felt about the hunting party right like i i thought it was fine there was definitely some great stuff in there i think this is definitely an episode where the b plot outshines the a plot to your point considering again that you have this big juicy character that has now entered the scene that may or may not be your access point to the others and i think they explore him in a really interesting way with a good number of characters and i think the maternity stuff uh, you know, especially in the last act, particularly when it comes to exploring Claire's interactions with Rousseau, have some mining there and not just in the Minnesotan way. I think that what ultimately does ring hollow is, again, you know, we don't knock too many episodes for, well, this was a plot thread that went nowhere. But the whole Aaron getting sick thing turned out to be like a big red herring that, again, hinted towards something that was going on with Aaron that wasn't. The flashes ultimately were a little inconsequential. The only thing we really knew about was we got a hint as to like, okay, why did they want Claire's baby? And we knew that apparently the others were more dressed up than we initially thought they would be. But I think it's a little less monumental than the stuff we've been experiencing the past couple of episodes. I've been comparing previous uh, character-based episodes, and Raised by Another, I gave a 3.5. I think I like this a little bit less than Raised by Another, because while that stuff was still fine with Claire, it at least had the, uh, you know, the big Ethan stuff with the manifest to really bolster it. And I think it's the Henry Gale stuff functions in a very similar way, but a little less so. So I gave that a 3.5. I'm going to give this slightly below a 3.4, sort of on the same level as like the, the hunting party, ooh, and found of it all, of like yeah. pretty middle of the road uh, season two episodes. 
Yeah, and I definitely like this less than Raised by Another, which I gave a 3.6. And I think like the definitely like it less is what gives it uh, a few notches below rather than just like a, a you know a decimal point is is separating it. Um, so uh, maybe I'm low on it. I don't know. I think maybe you're you're closer to it. Uh, the audience has it at a 3.5, so it's a 3.3, a 3.4, and a 3.5. I don't think that it's any lower than like the high twos for anybody in the rankings of these episodes. Uh, it's like it's definitely a good episode of Lost. Don't. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about the episode except for the sound. I just I think like maybe I expected this to be like a better episode than I remembered mm. even. I just had high expectations and they weren't totally met. That's totally yeah. fine. Sometimes that happens. Uh that's going to give this a 3.41 as it stands, not a 3. furlon. Uh <laughs> and that is going- <laughs> <laughs> at least i got bloom uh so that that means maternity leave is going to be uh the ninth best episode of season two so far behind collision above ooh and found uh but still a far cry away from the top which is still man of science man of faith and then that tie for second place between one of them and the 23rd psalm followed by orientation followed by the long con followed by the other 48 days followed by the hunting party then it's collision, then it's maternity leave, then it's ooh and found, then it's everybody hates Hugo. What Kate did, abandoned, adrift, and fire plus water. Next week, Mike, it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us Yeah, God. we're getting our second Quan episode of the season. And, uh, you know, this is the big one. This is where we find out that Sun is pregnant. Uh, we don't necessarily find out, you know, why that's crazy on the island. We more so find out why that's crazy for the Quans in general. I think this episode is more so known for, A, the introduction of uh, the balloon map, but obviously the final scene of the episode. So I guess we'll sort of, you know, build backward from there and see, was the rest of the episode as weighty as that infamous serial incident? Yeah, I mean, so obviously I remember the the got any milk scene so well. Uh, I have I have fond memories of Saeed, Charlie, and Anna Lucia on a mission together, I think is a cool concept. Um, but I, I, I really don't remember much about the the Quan storyline. Is it that like everybody finds out that Jin's going to be a dad except for yeah. Jin? Isn't that part yeah, of it? Because basically yeah. he doesn't speak English. And uh, there's is right, also like right, uh, right, right. you and we find that this is when he also he tears the garden apart uh, for a little bit. This is when we bring back a bit of like season one Jin. Jay Lee's going to make an appearance in the flashback again. Sure, uh, sure. You know, the, yeah, yeah. the most evil bald man in the world. So <laughs> oh, there's, sure, there's, there's going right. to be some fun tough support. Look, it, look, it's a Quan episode, so I'm intrigued by it you know i i will see how it compares to ooh and found especially because i remember we were both very happy about watching their origin story and now we take another page out of their book all right so we'll talk about that next week get your feedback in that podcast is going to drop may 15th so may 13th i think uh you'd be safe uh post show recaps on twitter at post show recaps or i'm at round howard mike is at a mike bloom type and of course our email address the best way to get your feedback in down the hatch at post show recaps Dot com. Subscribe if you haven't done so already. Your ratings and reviews, so appreciate. Uh, Mike Bloom, what do you got going on outside of all well, this? Also, Survivor is starting to really round the bend for the time being. And so I know you and I have both been covering it on our respective networks. I'll also be talking with the grand poobah himself, the true man behind the curtain, Rob Cesarnino. Sure to be a lot of shenanigans ensuing as we talk about the two-hour episode of Survivor this week. Also, you and I are talking about Top Chef Big Event Restaurant Wars this season. Josh, I know you and I certainly have a lot of thoughts. I'm sure our panel of six overall will have many, many thoughts as we get into the climax of each and every season on 
Top Chef, even if it's not the most enjoyable episode in our opinions. That was a tough episode. Always a tough episode to watch. This one, no different. Uh, so we'll talk about that on the Top Chef podcast. Plenty more happening on post-show recaps. Uh, everything is super. The Marvel Cinematic Universe rewatch with myself and Kevin Mahadeo just reached Captain America, the first Avenger this past Ooh. week, which means next week we're up to the Avengers. Oh. First one. We're assembling. Wow. Very Phase excited. one is almost complete then. Phase one is almost complete, so we're going to hit the climax of phase one in just a few days, so definitely check that out. If that sounds like a podcast that's fun for you, we're having a great time talking Marvel on Everything is Super. You can get feedback in for that one, super at postshowrecaps.com. Jessica Lees and I are talking Killing Eve. Uh, we still got our Killing Eve coverage is going on as we are just a little bit past the halfway mark as of Sunday night coming up. Uh, and Westworld just ended. Yeah. Uh, so Joe Garfine and I have our coverage of the finale uh, that dropped this past week. So check out all of that stuff. It's going on. It's going down on Post Show Recaps. Mike, um, we are uh, we're under two hours here. Uh, wow. On the last podcast. How about there that? was a donkey wheel, it would have been slowly uh, thawing itself out. Right. No, we, been, but this is the- we still. We still would have hit it if if, if we were right. still in danger of the 108 minutes. We but would have exceeded it. First, not this by is much. The first time we've hit it since Tabula Rasa when we were pers- when we were yeah. actually pushing to get under that time limit. So the fact that we did this yeah. unprompted is interesting. Oh, I good. Didn't, I didn't think and and may, maybe a sign of uh, what we're talking about with maternity leave. It's like uh, you know, it's a good episode. It's just I don't know that there's a ton to see. I'll be in- to, or at least I didn't find. I'll it be intrigued much. to see what next week provides as well in that regard. Like you said, I think that there were a few episodes in the middle of the season that are more so are sometimes forgotten about in the history of loss some like the long con i think really exceed expectations some like maternity leave maybe in your case maybe uh lie a little bit below expectations we'll see how the whole truth turns out as well all right we'll be back next week talking about it until then everybody take care goodbye Sixty five, forty two, forty eight, fifty, 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 sixty five, forty two,